Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Before we get into this week's guest, I wanted to share an example how the network of listeners and guests have developed to create some amazing opportunities. Earlier this week in social media, I received the following message. So thankful for your podcast. It has helped me in so many incredible ways over the last year and a half. I am looking forward to meeting the crew at the DX Ranch this spring and would never have gotten the opportunity had it not been for your podcast. Your interview with Jen changed my life, having gone through similar experiences at that current time in my life. I am so grateful. It is very empowering. You have also influenced my perspective on a lot of things, especially my attitude towards others. Very much appreciated. Take care of yourself, and I hope the weather is sunny. I'm humbled to receive such message, and it's a great example how the community surrounding Let Free Rain podcast has continued to grow and support each other. Now, if you want to listen to episodes referred to in that message, go back and visit episode 26 with Jen Zeller and episode 27 with Zach Ducheneau. This week on Let Freedom Raid podcast, we feature Todd Pierce of Riding High Ministries. Todd has worked as a pro rodeo cowboy, provided spiritual guidance for many members of the PBR, and now travels the world sharing the word of Christ through his ministry. Todd is an incredible example of the ripple effect. It's amazing when one man commits to Christ, the effect that he can have on so many people. For more on Todd Pierce and Riding High Ministries, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram under Riding High Ministries. You can also visit their website at ridinghighministries.org. If you haven't already, we encourage you to visit our social media pages. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And as always, you can find Let Freedom Reign Podcast on all major listening platforms. We encourage you to subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and write us a review. Now, we hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Todd Pierce of Riding High Ministries. I flew down to Riding last night, and uh, we've got just a series of meetings and relationships that we just want to stay in, in touch with here. And so we're going to be here for about, I think, five days. Oh, wow. And then back, back to frozen Idaho. That's what uh, I have family up in Idaho. They're just west of Boise a little bit, and we usually go up there around summertime, usually 4th of July. And spend some time with them. And they always emphasize, you want to move up here to Idaho, come back up here about end of January, early February, and see see how much you like the, the countryside then. Yeah, it's good for you to make sure you know what you're getting yeah, yourself into. Yeah, he said, we get a little hard freeze every now and again, and it's uncomfortable at times. Yeah, we've actually been out of school, I think, seven days already this 
since January. Yeah. Because roads are blown shut. Yeah. It's kind of like the the Arctic right now. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been many months in the making to get you here on the show. Uh, We both have very, very busy schedules, and I appreciate you sticking with it and and making time for us here on the show. And uh, I really want to spend a lot of time today. Uh, We'll start like we start every show, right? Give a little history so listeners have a context as to who you are and what you do. But I really want to develop the the Riding High Ministries and and the men's leadership portion of, of what you do. I think it's very important. I truly believe in my heart that that the Father can change the the direction of this country. And but let's let's start with kind of who you are and how you got your start. Uh, you have quite the story um, going from from your own rodeo career and now now focusing on the ministry efforts. Yeah, it's, I think it's it's probably what if if the world could see the the exciting journey that saying yes to Jesus looks like. I, I think that the um, we, we wouldn't be able to keep people away. I was going to say, it's more people would be standing in line. Yeah, we, we've, we've got the the most powerful lives and the most uh, hopeful future of anybody on the planet. Um, basically, we've got the treasure that everybody's looking for. People ought to be breaking in trying to get it. We shouldn't have to try to pitch it. And I think that's like something that our families just really wanted to somehow embody is that this isn't something that has to do with a religion that's bound up in a church house. This is, this is what we were created to do. And it makes us come alive to levels that we can dream way bigger than we ever would have dreamt otherwise. And, you know, my life started out in a, just a really small town in Southeast Idaho, um, exposed to a lot of religion, a lot of, uh, structure a lot of rules and uh throughout the course of my upbringing it it just kind of gave me a world view of of what jesus was like and and it was pretty much boring but but my yes to him came um during my college years when when a guy just simply said two things to me he said did you know that god loves you and he's got a plan for your life and when he said that it wasn't it wasn't like a man speaking to me. It was as though something happened inside of me. And for the first time in my whole whole life that I could ever remember, I actually felt like I was going to cry. And it was so out of context, but it was a super powerful statement. And I believed what he said. And so there was nothing I could do. It wasn't like a belief system that I had to alter. It was just I knew it was true. Yeah, and yeah the conviction. Yeah, so all of a sudden, um, from that day on, I felt like my life has been a journey of discovering who I am as one of God's sons. And what happened when I became one with God because of what Jesus did. Yeah. And and so that um you know, took me into a professional rodeo career where as a bareback rider for seven years I uh married my high school sweetheart. Um her and I have been together since we were 15. Went through um, my professional rodeo career, which ended in 2001, I believe. And a few months after, um, I didn't realize it was going to be the end of the, my career. I had gotten an injury up at Calgary. And during the, while I was healing up from that, I got a, uh, a phone call from a gentleman named Cody Custer. He's a world champ bull rider. Yeah, Cody's previously been right. on the show. Has he? Yeah, yes, sir. An incredible man that yeah. has just 
people don't realize the significance of that one man's life because he's been somewhat of the grandfather of the faith in the in the rodeo cowboy world. Um, him and and guys like Alan Bach from mm-hmm. the timed event side of things, mm-hmm. uh, Jake Barnes, Cleo Brian Cooper, they were the first ones that would actually stand up and say we are. We're cowboys, we're the best, we're men of God, we love people, and we can say that with all humility. Yeah. And they, they modeled that lifestyle to where now it's you know it, it's a common thing to hear rodeo athletes celebrate something other than beers and, and skirts. Ain't that the truth. And, and so, yeah, just a ton of honor and, and respect for, for men that did that. But I got invited into that, you know, early on, you know, when it was still – um, it wasn't everywhere you would go that you could find someone to even lock arms with and try to to really be a man of God. But yeah. what it created in me was just an independent, um, intimate relationship with Holy Spirit that wherever I went, um, I just had to depend on him. And so anyway, whenever I got injured, Cody had called me and he asked if I would come speak at a PBR event. Um, that's a professional bull riding event. Um in Portland and I wasn't a speaker. I didn't, wasn't a leader. I was just a rodeo dude (laughs) with, you know, my background was anything but what you would say would, would create someone to be a a spiritual leader of any sort. But nonetheless, um, he knew the impact that I was having in my own personal rodeo career. And he asked if I would come speak at one of their events where they had already developed kind of a, um, the athletes would get together and have a time of, of studying the word and sharing their lives with each other and praying. And, and then the fans wanted to come and be a part of it. So they kind of started a little church service. And long story short, um, I went to that first event. It was amazing. Like for the first time I was there and I didn't even have to worry about competing, but I felt like I was with my people, yeah, which was, was men and um, men that didn't want to play games. They just wanted to know how to be the best version of themselves and so we could just have super honest conversations and after that event he asked me to go to a second one my wife went with me on that one and my kids and following that a third event so it was like three weeks in a row and by the end of that third week my wife and I looked at each other and realized that this is what everything that we had been through was leading up to and, you know, it's one of those moments where you, you never saw it coming. I never planned to do what I was doing. And so going back to competition really just didn't even become an option just simply because I felt like that's what my time there had created me for. And that's what it had produced in me. And so now we'd spent the last 18 years, well, 17 years with PBR. I, I quit traveling with them over a year ago. And uh, just traveling, doing all 30 events each year, the Built for Tough events, and mentoring men that are extreme athletes and um, are typically set up to fail in every area of their life except for riding uh, bulls. And so um, as the years developed, I felt more like a father that was trying to help um, equip these men to succeed in their, in their personal lives. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's my story. There's a lot more details if you want, but I was gonna say we can we can develop many points of it, and, and I want to first of all, 
I want to kind of go back to that, that pivotal moment, you know, when, when a friend of yours tells you that, that Jesus loves you, right? And God has plans for you. I actually have Jeremiah 2911 inscribed on my saddle. So every single day when I swing my leg, it's a constant reminder, right? And what I think was most pivotal as you're describing your story, I think back and kind of my turning point in my life. And, and I was, I was just beat up by life. You know, I had tried to take my life in a direction in one career. I was pursuing professional sports, professional baseball, uh, just the wear and tear of that. And then breaking away from that, which is something that you've done your whole entire life, right? You've dedicated yourself to, and then trying to swing to a whole different, um, excuse me, professional direction. Uh, that created its own challenges and then trying to cut your teeth and make a name for yourself and just inherently being competitive and wanting to be the best. It just, it wears on a person, right? And I was down, I was out. And when that conversion made that, you know what, God, I cannot do this anymore. I, I, I cannot run at the pace that I'm running. I really, really need some help. And for me, you almost get this feeling of, of kind of just sit back and watch this and, the fortune that has been afforded to me when I relinquish control to God has just been absolutely incredible. And all of the blessings in the Western industry, I tell people all the time, I've put far less effort on my part into my involvement in the horse world, and I have reaped the benefit 10 times over versus all of the effort I put forward towards baseball when I was trying to be in control of my life. It's not that I've been handed anything. It's that God has been gracious I, I am now running my stride in his race, in his plan, and, and life has been a lot easier as a result. There's still ups and downs. There's still battles that need to be fought. But when you have the confidence and you have the understanding and you have the momentum of, of Christ behind you, it's just, it's an overpowerful, excuse me, it's an overwhelming feeling. And, and it's just, it's something that I am driven to share with everybody that's willing to listen. Yeah, well... They, they say luck is like preparation meeting with opportunity. Yeah. But I, I like to take it a step further. It's like when you've got a surrendered will to the creator of heaven and earth and you take preparation and look for opportunity, you've, you've got a billion-fold opportunity. It's yeah. like the favor of God mixed with, with you being willing to just do your part. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's if, – if you want to – like give a formula for success. It's be prepared, keep your heart open, stay humble, say yes to Jesus and watch what he does. It's unbelievable. And it's unbelievable the momentum it in it, you know, and, and for me, I think back and in my early years, right when I would pray, I would pray for, you know, God, give me this, God, give me that. And it's usually things are success, right? And as I've matured and just grown, the only thing I pray for is that I can successfully complete whatever his plan is for me to the best of my absolute ability, whatever that is. And, and quite honestly, I don't really, I don't care what his plans are for me, right? What he knows is correct. And my job is just to work as hard as I can and put one foot in front of the other. And it's a great feeling. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, you had talked about the, how exhausting it is when you're always striving, trying to get something done. I've even done that in, in the realms of ministry because that was just kind of my MO. Mm-hmm. It's just try mm-hmm. harder, work harder. Mm-hmm. And so being a having so much narcissistic tendencies where I just want to be the best, you know, I had to I had to really just have a, a different wineskin or a whole different belief system for me to to 
know what it looks like to know that I've already, like, the battle's been won, and I've been invited into the process of it. Yeah. And when you know you can't lose, it's kind of like if, if failure was completely um, removed from an outcome, mm-hmm. what would you dare to do? Just if you, if you had unbelievable boldness and no fear, what would you do with your life? Oh, the potential is endless. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I think that's really what Jesus has invited people into. If you get your eyes off yourself and whatever it is that you deem to be successful and the applause of men, what would you do if, if you weren't afraid of failing? And I think a whole lot of people's lives would look different if they could just sit down and be honest with themselves and say, if I actually believe that I can't lose, that Jesus said that he would never leave me, he would never forsake me, that the work that he began in me, he's going to complete that work, that, you know, your Jeremiah um, passage of, of just these, these plans that I've got for you, it's a hope and it's a future. If you actually believed what we say we believe, what's keeping you where you're at? Yeah. And what's holding you back? And and I just think that's what we've been we've been almost commissioned to help people learn how to dream with God because when He's your source, there's there's not a whole lot that you'll you'll allow fear to speak to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's I mean it touches on so many levels as far as I mean, we get into horsemanship and legacy and things of that sort, but really the there's going to be that constant fight of doubt, right? And an insertion of, well, what if, what if I can, what if I can't, you know, and, and you do have to have that blind faith and it's, it's a difficult thing to achieve. And it's something that you always have to work on as an individual. But like you said, when you go into battle, when you go into competition for anybody that's been an athlete or had to compete on any, any level, think of the mindset you take going into a championship game or any game, right? And there is that doubt that, you know, well, maybe I didn't prepare or maybe these, this team's a little bit more physical than me, or maybe they're a little bit more educated. And then you take another game in the same exact regard and you know, you've prepared and you know, you're educated and you know, you're in shape. I mean, it's completely different mentality you take into that fight and, and the success usually improves tenfold. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, Jason, I, I don't know what it was like as a professional baseball player but they say that they failed more than even bull riders do as far as being at bat yeah and that many people are so afraid of failing that they've never learned how to fail and and so one thing i loved about working with a rodeo athlete type mentality is that you've got to at the end of the day know that you did everything to prepare everything you did to could to perform and if you win or lose it doesn't change your game. Yes. And, yes. and the, the losing doesn't mean that, you know, the, the buzzer doesn't get to or the score doesn't get to determine whether you went one or lost. You've got to develop a mentality that says my success is in how I do my life. And me bucking off because at the elite level, they're bucking off 60% of their bulls, even when you're the best. Yeah. And so if you're failing more than half the time that you, attempt to do something and you let success or failure be defined by that, you're going to lose. You're going to continue to lose because you're going to get discouraged. And I just think failing in the kingdom 
um, isn't what people think it is. And that's why I think the religious agenda that makes people feel trapped in a performance mindset where I've just got to do better. I've got to try harder. God's displeased with me. Um, somehow I've got to earn something more here is it, it's the most devastating thing to watch in the life of especially those who call themselves Christians. Yes, it's overconsuming. People get they think they think faith and reality or excuse me, they think faith and religion is a performance based topic. You know, mm-hmm. the, the fight's been fought. It has already been fought, it's been documented, right? And now we as Christians, right? It's it's our job to go out and spread the word of Christ and do what we can to carry on the missions and, and purpose of Christianity. And I think about, you know, we talk about baseball and success rates and generally speaking, right? If you are successful three out of 10 at bats, right? You hit 300 for a year. That's, that will put you in a competitive market for a hall of fame career. And for me personally, I saw failure as a loss. I had been defeated. I did not come through. I did not hold up to my, my end of a performance and that transitioned into a new professional career and kind of in life in general, right? If I didn't win, then there was something wrong, then it was negative, that it was overbearing. And once I came to the light of understanding that every chance that you quote unquote fail is not discouraging, it's not disparaging, it's an opportunity to learn, it's an opportunity to grow, it's an opportunity to get better. I changed that mindset to to almost seeking failure, finding as many, many holes and flaws as I can in my personal life, in my professional life, in my work that I do with horses, because the sooner I plug up those holes, the stronger I'm going to be as an asset in, in this bigger picture. Yeah, and then you invite other people into yeah. that as well. Like, yeah. let me see what I'm not seeing. So yeah. rather than feeling attacked yeah. or criticized, you actually feel like, okay, if if, if you love me enough, you're going to help me see the things that I can't see because I, I want to, I want to improve. Yeah. And that, and that's probably you as an athlete, Jason, you know, you, that mindset has to be developed and there's got to be a confidence level that you know who you are as one of God's sons. Mm-hmm. And so your identity is so secure because you feel like you're a part of a family. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a part of a mm-hmm. family. You've got an inheritance. You're mm-hmm. never going to get kicked out. This yeah. isn't an orphanage mentality that you live in. And and so I think that's kind of like the the beginning point for so many people is that if you really know what it means to be adopted into God's family, that you've got a, an inheritance that's never going to be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. You've got a father mm-hmm. that's never going to kick you out. He's, he's not mad at you. Mm-hmm. That every time you fail really just does become an – because failure – like as a Christian, it's kind of like we'll use the big word, oh, I sinned. Yeah. And, and so we make that to where that's, we're, we're so conscious of that that we don't, we don't get the point that, yeah, while you were still against God, he was willing to do whatever it is to prove to you how, how much he loves you. And how much you're worth it. Yeah. He's not disappointed or yeah. scared of, yeah. your, of your dysfunction. And if you're stuck in pornography or you're stuck in some sort of habitual lying or, addiction or just a life of discontentment and frustration, whatever it is that you feel like you're stuck in, it's like if we feel like that's failing, then we almost eliminate God from having a voice into that area of your life. Yeah, you almost avoid the power. Yeah, come on, Jesus, you're right in the middle of this thing with me. And so when I work with horses, you know, and 
that's kind of where all this led into is, mm-hmm. is all of my life of working with horses and being a trainer and learning what I guess the political term for it now is natural horsemanship. Yeah. Um, is that right? Uh, sure. <laughs> I think it's a highly debatable term. You know, I think it's just horsemanship. That's how business should be conducted, you know, but somebody's got yeah. a coin, somebody's got a coin, a marketed phrase and, and make a bunch so, of money on it. Right. Yeah. If that, if that makes you familiar with what I'm talking about, Absolutely. But, but actually, actually making it to where I love it when a horse fails because it doesn't create an opportunity for discipline. It creates an opportunity for connection. And if the horse doesn't fail, that's when I, I feel really insecure in mine and his connection. Yeah. But the more he fails, the more confident I get in our connection and the more confidence that creates in the horse. And it, and it really does become just a beautiful parallel of, of what it's like being a man that's in a kingdom that's never going to be taken away from you. That your failure becomes an opportunity for connection. And that's been a huge, I would say, the pinnacle driving force for this show. And the foundation of it is in my pursuit of horsemanship and and gaining that education, you start to reflect on your own life. And I very, very soon realized that there are a lot of things that we do in the pen with a horse that is a direct reflection of how we should treat ourselves as individuals and how we should treat those around us, right? As far as patience and kindness and firmness and fairness and respect and discipline. And I mean, you can go on to any characteristic, right? And I personally think that there's huge voids in the law enforcement military communities, right? And there's these huge stigmas of getting psychological help or mental help or seeing a doctor or, you know, being on psychotropic medication, whatever the stigma is. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'm, not, a, uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. But I think when you get people out with these animals and you really start to understand the horse they will present some incredible opportunities of education and reflection in the human being. And it's done in such a tactful and non-threatening manner that the message is more warmly received than, Hey, you know what? Today we're going to go see your psychiatrist and you're going to lay on a couch and they're going to, you're going to tell them all the things that you've done that you're all messed up. And then they're going to dope you up and send you on your way. Yeah. It, I think there's room for all of it. And I've, I've, I just look at how the diversity of how it is that God's willing to, to go to, to communicate to us that this, this idea of allowing horses to be a tool for communication for me, it, it had to begin in me because I, I had no grid for this conversation 20 years ago when I was starting horses. Mm-hmm. But I do know that I, I said yes to Jesus in a way that, and this could almost sound blasphemous, Jason, but, when I said yes to Jesus, it was like, Jesus, I want you in my life. Like, I actually believe that you do have a great plan for me and you do love me and you want to help me get out of this endless cycle of running. But I hate your people. I hate your church. I don't. Everything that I knew about who Jesus's people were in his church was this religious mindset. It's like, I don't want to be a part of that. And for Whatever reason, so don't hear what I'm not saying is that I'm I was I'm against the church because I'm not. That's just where I was at, and and so I was training horses at that time, and so God literally used horses to communicate this thing to me because I remember the first time it happened, I was you know brand new believer, 
really struggling with addiction, really struggling with relationship issue with my now wife and the other girlfriends I had in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was, I was just really in a, in a hard spot, but I was working with this particular horse that just wouldn't stop running. Like I couldn't get him to, to face up. I couldn't get him to even acknowledge that I was there. Um, and I began to speak out loud to the horse, which I had never done before. You know, I'd never seen any videos. I didn't know any of this stuff. This was like a super spiritual, intense moment for me, where as I began to speak to the horse, I felt as though God was speaking directly to me. That my words weren't even my own words. They were, they were this is how I see you, son. You're, you're still scared. You're still running. You don't know how to trust. You don't know what I see in you. If you could just see what I see in you, you'd stop running. And everything became so surreal to me in that moment. I don't even remember re- leaving the round pen that day because it was so intense of an encounter with the Holy Spirit that that's how he began to develop me as a man and as a son was speaking to me th- through through horsemanship and, and uh, the animals themselves. And... You know, it's not a new thing. If you go through scripture, yeah, there's yeah. Um, tons of places where God used um, animals specifically to deliver his message and cooperate with what he wanted done. And, you know, and, and I think that's why I said that we're all without excuse. God's revealed himself in, in all of creation for us to know who he is. It reveals his nature. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, got, I get goosebumps listening to you to describe the circumstances of that first encounter, that, that momentous encounter, you know, and and for me, I guess the greatest question in this horsemanship thing, as it pertains to religion or teaching, you know, is it how do we raise, and, and this might be more rhetorical in sense, how do we raise the level of awareness in the human being to be able to accept that? Because I know for so many years when I work with horses, and even to this day, right, I guarantee there's blind spots in my game. The things were being communicated to me through the animal and I was missing it. Right. And I think so much of that happens in life as well. I think God gives us opportunities to catch things here and there, but we're so preoccupied with either ourselves, our lives, our addiction, whatever it may be. You know, how, how do we get through to folks to step back and maybe be able to catch it? Maybe be able to receive that message, you know. There might there might not be a legitimate answer, but I think the horse and horsemanship helped to bridge that gap somewhat. Yeah, you know, I, Jason, I've struggled with it because Jesus used parables to teach mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. those who were willing to be taught, and and it. But the parables also hid the truth from those that 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 whose heart posture wasn't willing to to receive them. So it wasn't just a good form of communication. It was a form of communication that made it to where only those that could, re- the only people that could receive it were those whose hearts were in the right posture to do so. Correct. And so I feel like um, when I'm working with a horse, the people really become, even though I'm, I'm very, I sp- speak quite a bit, I'm very in tune with the people around me. But at the same time, I'm caught up in a in something that I can't control. All I can do is is manage myself in that moment. 
And so in leadership, especially for us as men, is that we duplicate what's going on inside us. We don't duplicate what we believe or what we say we believe, what our thoughts are. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I say it often that we can teach what we know, but we impart or we actually produce around us who we are. And so if I'm working with an animal, I can only give that, that horse what I carry inside of me. And that horse is more connected to, to what's going on in me emotionally than, than I am oftentimes. Absolutely. And so the, I can't use fear or intimidation to help the horse get over fear. I can't use punishment to, or frustration to help them feel safe enough to learn. You know, that, so it, it makes it to where if I'm going to manage anything, I've got to manage myself. I've got to keep my peace, my joy, my love, all my hope, all, all the things that I'm feeling inwardly are what I'm actually communicating to the horse. And so way beyond the horsemanship, I'm going to have to have a level of horsemanship to be able to somehow um, implement some of these new belief systems. But all the connection that I get with an animal, the reason I can typically get on a horse within 10 or 15 minutes bareback is because they're not afraid of me. Mm -hmm. They actually feel empowered by mm -hmm. me. And so there's no ropes. There's no, there's, there doesn't have to be any restraint because the horse is longing for the same thing. He just didn't know that he longed for it until I exposed him to a level of peace and a level of power and hope that made it to where he wanted to become something different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I believe that's what an encounter with Holy Spirit feels like is that there, Jason, there's nowhere else I want to go. Like when yeah. Jesus' disciples, Jesus asked him at one point, he says, because everybody was leaving Jesus because he said like the super offensive statement that the people just didn't understand. Everybody left him. He looked at his disciples and said, are you guys going to leave me too? And they were like, Nope. We're here. I don't know what you said. <laughs> That's right. We got we got nowhere else to go, yeah. bro. Yeah. Like no one else. When when you speak, you make me feel like I want to come alive. And yeah. you you possess these words of life. Yeah. And so there's nowhere else that we have to go. And I feel like that's like if every man could could experience an encounter like that, there there really isn't anywhere else for us to go. No, like I, I can't look back to the world. I can't look back to my addictions. I can't look back to anything. All I've got to do is keep my learn, learn to manage myself yeah. and, and allow Holy Spirit to speak to me daily as a son. Yeah. So I want to go back and kind of revisit some of the, the PBR mentorship that you did and your involvement in the PBR. And, and here's why. Uh, as athletes, especially young athletes, right? A lot of these kids, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, uh, you're out on the road. There's not much in the way of, of supervision. Uh, you're in the limelight, right? There's a bunch of fame and fortune that comes along with it. You're handed huge sums of cash when you're successful. And oftentimes that leads to really, really dark places like we talked about, right? Uh, financially being irresponsible, running and gunning on the road, drinking way too much, adultery, things of that sort. So what for you when you were working with PBR and some of these athletes, and, and I'm sure you had more than enough athletes going down this road at some point, how, how would you convey to them that they needed to change their tide? Because oftentimes 
a, a lot of folks aren't ready to receive that message. And, and like you talked about, if you don't get them in the right headspace and you don't get them in the right heart space, it's going to be hard to get through to them. So what were some things that brought you success in introducing some of those first conversations or perspectives of people to help them understand that, you know what, life isn't that bad when you follow this road? Um, I, I will say, Jason, that the number one thing, especially initially when I, when I walked into the PBR that we had going for us was a whole bunch of successful athletes that were modeling what it is that I was talking about. You know, I had, mm-hmm. I had some reference point for, for the young guys to look at, like, okay, there's, there's some opposing options you got. And I, and I feel like if I didn't connect with them their first few weeks on tour, like that was super critical to me that I would see them come in as someone that wasn't successful. I saw them as somebody that even though they felt like they just achieved it, their dream is to get on tour. I took the posture that all of a sudden you don't realize what you just dove into and you're yeah. not ready for this. You have no Whether idea. You feel like you're ready or not, you are not ready for this. And I want to stay as close to you as I can so that I can help you when the questions come. Because the day is going to come when you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to question, have a question. And you're going to have to have somebody that you trust enough that you can answer or give you the answers. And so it wasn't just me that they would come to. It was these other heroes of the faith that were on, on tour that were winning big time, yet they were still living their lives in a healthy manner. Yeah. And, and then you add the other side. You know, it's like, or you can do it this way. And, and so there was a lot of like just, evidence in the lives of the athletes because unlike other sports when you're on tour you you're spending three to four days a week staying in the same hotel eating in the same places competing with the same group of men all year long for 30 weeks of the year so you look at that like your your competitive element is really your family and it's the most influential part of your life. And so we were set up for tremendous success that way. And, and so I didn't have to take, uh, you know, I didn't have the stereotype of, of the preacher that was there to try to fix yeah. everybody. We were just doing life together. Yeah. Coming across as a peer. Yeah. And, and so if, if we're going to do life together and we're all here because we want to be the best at whatever that, you know, whatever that looks at, like in, in your mind, then that's what we're going to do. And those relationships obviously developed to where over that much, you know, amount of time being there for 17 or 18 years, they, they really did feel like my closest friends, brothers, some sons, you know, I did their weddings. I did, you know, I led them to Christ. I baptized them. I, I was a part of their families and and I don't know that many men get the privilege of having that type of proximity to or a relationship with another man that they can trust at the level that we were able to develop yeah. Yeah. In, in that competitive realm. Because it's kind of like if you do, if you go to war with somebody, those become your tightest friends. Absolutely. Your whole life. Absolutely. And, and so. We were doing war together. It's a dangerous sport. We were, and and even though I wasn't involved in the competitive side of it, you know, I was the guy that was in the ambulance every time, you know, I rode to the hospital 
with the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was there, you know, when they won and when they lost and when they found their wife and when they lost their wife and when they quit drinking and when they started again. And, and so you have enough cycles of that, that you get to somehow model unconditional love, but to create that, you know, in this busy world that we live in, we just don't take time for those types of relationships. But I can give you just one cool story that's coming to mind. Um, there was a young man, I'll just leave names out of it, but he was fairly young, fixing to win his wor- first world championship. And because I was, you know, I observe, I'm not there competing, so I can just observe people and I could see that something was wrong. And he was going into the, um, final day of, of the world finals and he was behind the shoots and he just kept untying and retying his, his boots and which he hadn't ever done before. And so I was able to just get with him, pulled him aside and, and just talked with him for, it was probably a, a one minute talk, but it was just being able to look into his eyes and let him know that there is no pressure here, bro. You already won this thing. All you've got to do is is finish this day. And because he did need to ride another bull to win it, but it was one that everybody knew he could ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but what? Well, but he had started feeling like, oh my gosh, this is actually going to happen. He was going to he was going to lose it simply because fear had got a hold of him. Yes. And, you know, in a, in a super vulnerable time. Yes. And, but it's, it's kind of like I could see he was in the crosshairs of a sniper that was trying to kill him. Like it was going to steal this moment from him. And, but that's what we can actually become for each other. If we, if we see each other as each other's keeper, like a, I love you enough that I'm going to help you see what you can't see. And because we trust each other enough, We've got permission to speak those things to each other. Yeah, have that honest conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. And what a defining moment, you know, because performance anxiety is a real thing. And and I think it's very figurative to many aspects of life, right, that we get caught up in the hype of whatever it may be, you know, whether it's an event or teaching or a test or work itself, you know, but being able to step back or having that circle of friends that are able to watch that change in you and support you in the direction you need to be supported. Uh, what a powerful and momentous culture change within the PBR, you know, to where support and love like that becomes just a standard operating procedure. That's how business is conducted amongst the ranks. Yeah. Definitely, definitely powerful. So in all of your journey, right. Uh, you now do tons of work with, with writing high ministries, which has been your mission and goal and purpose for, for decades now. Let's talk about kind of some of those early years when you step off on your own and, and transition into where we are today. And, and I want to talk a little bit about your work within the uh, Oregon prison system at some point. But let's just start with okay. the, the beginnings of writing high ministries and, and those first couple strides you've taken or you took. Well, it's... These are one of those things that you, um, I feel as though it was it was just thrust upon me. Um, very few things that I've done in my life do I feel like I actually had a vision and a plan for, and I just went for it. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's just been a series of of me just saying yes to Jesus and where I and I need to throw in there the most critical part of of my success or failure in a real practical way is the fact that I had a wife that loves Jesus with her whole heart, loves people more than I do. And <laughs> when we, when we make decisions, we don't do anything unless we're in agreement on it. And so this whole process, you, you know, you can't eliminate, you can't single me out. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. This has been a partnership with my wife. that's made it where, um, you know, it's, there's no, no saying where we would be without, without her being my life partner. And so, um, there's just a, a hit for being really careful about who you choose as your life partner. Yes. Uh, but we, um, we've got three sons ourselves. And as we were raising our sons and with my own story and then me watching so many young men come into a sport where at 18, 19, 20 years old, they've got a, they've got a skill level. They've got, say, education or whatever it might be, whatever has got them to the top of their game at, at 20 years old, but they don't have the character to keep them there. They've, they've, it's like a fatherless generation. And it's not that they didn't have fathers. It's just that they don't live in a place of knowing God as a father to where I saw such a hole in our culture to where um, the, the very last verse of the Old Testament, right before the New Covenant, the last thing that was spoken was there's going to be a time when I'm going to win the hearts of fathers back to their children and children back to their fathers. It was going to be a restoration of a family unit. And so in that, in that verse and what I was seeing in the world was in order for that to ever take place, there had to be a time when fathers are, are present, like they're, they're physically on the planet. They're, they're physically in town, but their hearts are not turned towards their families. And, and so as we went through years with the PBR, it got to where more and more focused on the reality that this is actually a worldwide epidemic of fatherlessness. Yes. And, and that I don't believe that God allows us to see the problem without giving us some keys to solving the problem, that that's the resource of heaven to that our life. One guy saying yes to Jesus has unbelievable ripple effect on, on what can happen in a culture. And so riding high ministries is really just, become the vehicle to help us continue to do what I do to help men see one, the value of their life, um, that, that God has placed on it, but how life apart from God doesn't work and how life with God is, is indescribable. And it's not God as a, as a religious figurehead. It's like actually becoming a part of an eternal family to where what we described I was in the PBR was just a physical representation of what it is that was going on inside of me as God was being a father to me. And, and so I feel like the mandate on my life and why I will go into prisons or I'll go into whatever setting we've been, um, you know, to hostile countries. Uh, we've, 
just using horses to communicate. We've been in a dozen different uh, countries, everywhere from Romania to Bolivia to Burma, uh, where people are so hungry because they realize that they feel like an orphan in life. And what we can communicate with the with the horses, with, with just having a message that says that Jesus was the one that opened the door for us to have God as a father. He made it possible to where we could have such a connection with him that we don't just call him father. He's actually raising us and loving us the way our natural fathers, you know, no matter how well we tried, we, we fall short of. Absolutely. And, and so the, the prison system, if we just use that as an example, that every man in there, without exception, I've never met a man in there yet that doesn't have such severe father wounds or lack thereof uh, a father, that that's, that's really their story. Yeah, yeah. They say on Mother's Day, the male going out is almost above what they can handle. On Father's Day, there's not ever a card that goes yeah, out. It's a bunch of crickets. Yeah. And and it's just really that this is, you want to know what living life without a father looks like? Go hang out in a state penitentiary. There, there's the end result of someone that doesn't have any connection with God as a father or a natural father. Yeah, yeah. And I hope... I hope most of our listeners don't have the experience of being inside of a penitentiary. So for those of us that haven't, can you kind of further develop, what is the transformation that you've seen? What, what is the, pro let's do this to set context. Let's explain the program that you run when you visit these prisons. And then I want to develop the transformation that you see in these individuals in a very, very short window. And, and I feel you are opening the door for those individuals to take that first step. And after seeing your demonstration, many of them take that first stride with a lot more conviction than they ever had in their lives. Yeah. The, I'll, I'll describe my first prison event and maybe that'll give some, some context for it. So for the, those that are listening that don't understand really what I'm talking about, that I, I will take a, an unbroke horse typically a two to five year old that's halter broke, but not ever been saddled or handled much at all. Um, and I'll put them in a round pen and over the process of 30 to 45 minutes, I'll typically, um, be riding them, have them saddled, bridled. And so it's a really fast process, which you wouldn't need to do it that fast, but that's typically the timeline that I have with people. And so we bring this program right into the prison yards. So the first time I, I did it, it was at Snake River uh, Penitentiary, which is in Ontario, Oregon. And the chaplain had just done all this work to get it to where I, I wasn't sure how he pulled it off, but he got a horse, a round pan, a live band, and all that comes with that in the prison yard. <laughs> within the walls. Within the walls of a maximum security prison. And... Uh, maybe that was a medium, but regardless, it's, you can't even get shoelaces in there. Yeah, so yeah. somehow he got this all cleared and right before I go out on the yard and I'm supposed to work with this horse that I still haven't seen yet. They just told me about it. It was 
I think a three year old that, um, and the way I remember it is he was extremely nervous, uh, horse. But before I even went out on the yard, I was being escorted by all these, um, officers and they asked me to put on a, an orange vest. And I said, do I have to wear this? And they said, have you ever been hunting? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, that's why you're wearing it. And I'm like, I still don't get it. It's like, <laughs> well, we need to know where you're at just in case something goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, goes wrong like what? Like I've what never been in yeah. prison. So I'm, I'm already intimidated by the speech <laughs> I got before I came in there that, yeah, yeah it is pretty gnarly. Anyway, uh, they said, well, these two yards have not, or these two cell blocks have not been together for like a decade because the last time there was a riot and we just broke up their yard time. So they're not on the yard together anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But today for this special event, we want them to come. They, we want everybody to be able to be there. And so um, they just did some super extravagant stuff. Hopefully I'm not getting anybody in trouble here, but um, it was it was done at a state level for us to be able to do this. And when I walked out there, you could see the the inmates were just coming out about the same time I were or I was, and the the animosity between the two, the tension that you could feel, um, the showing of gang affiliations and all the stuff that you know that actually does happen. Yeah, all the posturing. And so it was a super intimidating deal to where I started feeling like, okay, I'm not even able to manage myself right now. Yeah. And I've got to step in this round pen in front of a thousand men and try to somehow work with this animal that's also freaking out because it's never been off the ranch. Now it's surrounded by all these people and all these things going on. And I kid you not, Jason, all I could think was I told the, the, the worship guy, start, start playing something, anything. And as they started to play, you know, there's still a lot of talking and, and movement with the people and, you know, a lot of security, but still it was like, man, this could get scary really fast. fast. Yeah. And, and so he started playing and all I think he was singing, he was just kind of playing a melody on the, on a guitar and and I began to speak and move the horse around in a circle and the tangible presence of God literally fell on that place to where it was as though nobody nobody would move nobody would say a word and for the next 30 minutes it was like we were caught up in something that nobody could describe and the horse did beautifully whatever words the Lord gave me. We spoke, and by the time we were closing and we were running out of time, I just said, if anybody wants to have this type of relationship with this God that you can't see and you don't understand why your life's not working and you feel like you're in a pen right now and you haven't actually being locked up you're actually getting an opportunity to be to discover who you are if you want god to father you and and you want to put all your trust in jesus today is your day and without exception 
uh, Jason, the everybody hit their knees. And how incredible it was like, I didn't even know yeah. that was possible. Yeah. I've, outside of that one encounter that I'd had with the Lord myself, I'd never experienced that much of his presence that made it to where I don't even know if anything needed to be said. Like God was doing such a miracle in that space that, um, from that day on, I, I was like, I, I think I could spend my whole life just doing this because, and now that was maybe 10 years ago. And so a lot of those guys have, you know, that wasn't just a moment. That was the beginning of their story. That, that was, was the, the moment. Of, the moment. Yeah. And that moment, it's like, okay, in this culture, in prison, behind these walls, that wasn't 100% of the population. Everybody had that encounter, but not everybody took it. So yeah. everybody still had this opportunity to develop this personal relationship with Jesus that now we're getting to see the fruit of that 10 years later. And we've got the men that are on the outside um, that still describe that moment and men that are still in that facility going around basically as missionaries to every other guy as they come in, just helping them find their way. And I think that's how the the kingdom expands, and that's the privilege that we get to to have as his sons. Absolutely. So in the course of a year, what kind of events does Riding High Ministries offer? Well, that's been a little bit of a moving target, but this year um, most of our calendar is full, but we will do um, about a dozen different prison facilities. Uh, we're going to do, I think, seven or eight different men's events, which are just like, um, they're all fairly unique, but we're just really going to make it a space for men to come in a conference-type setting. Um, and I'm partnering with uh, other men that are really great with emotional health, a guy named Jason Ballatin and uh, Justin Stumvall both just brilliant as far as really helping men connect with their own emotions. Um, and, and we also do public events where churches or communities will bring me in and I can do um, events for the public. And, and it becomes a great form of, I almost don't like the word, but form of a, a way to reach out to the community to create a, an event where people that don't want to be around church can still come and actually see what the truth of the gospel's all about. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible stuff. So where can folks find you as far as social media and websites, if they wanted to follow more content as far as what you offer, where you'll be out on tour and, and how to consume more of, of who you are and what writing high ministries is. Well, writing high org is a website and it's got a link to um, uh, Facebook and Instagram, that um, YouTube videos. So there's there's quite a bit of content that you can access through that. Through that, I think Facebook is a pretty good. Like it, it gets most of the the highlight stuff, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. connect to a blog that I do some writing as well. Mm -hmm. But um, what I feel like at this time in our life, we're, 
our our focus really is we want to help men get empowered to lead in a way that they can create homes where wives actually feel like they're being celebrated and children feel like they're they're safe and being developed and that we can we can give something to our families that maybe we weren't given ourselves mm-hmm. and that violates a law uh, at every level unless you understand that this is actually what Jesus came to give us that whether I had a good dad or, or, or not doesn't have to determine what kind of a man I can become. Absolutely. And Absolutely. That's great. God really does get the final say on that. If you allow him to father you, he is the perfect father that can make up for all of the things that we've been deficient in simply because our fathers didn't have it to give to us. And to be really honest with you, Jason, with my three sons, that's, that's really what my wife and I have tried to help them understand is that your mom and I are going to do our very best to give you everything we've got. But unless you allow God to be a father to you, you're only going to get what we have. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's all we can give you. If you want more, which is what we want for you, develop this connection with God to where um, through his spirit, he's actually continuing to raise you because I'm nearly 50 years old now and I feel like I need a father now more than ever. And I don't have my biological father, my, my, you know, my, mm-hmm. the father that produced me. So I, that's where this, this isn't like something for somebody else. This is a very personal thing to me that yes. I believe we all need it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Todd, as we, as we wrap every episode, I like to ask what we call the legacy question. And for you and your journeys throughout life, both personally and professionally, what are words that you would share with individuals or what is the legacy that you want to leave on those who are following in your path? That love kills fear and there's only one source of perfect love and that is Jesus and that he is the answer to all that el- ails humanity. I want people to know that um, fear is is something that can be destroyed, but it has to come in the context of having one a relationship with God and a, and a vulnerability with with each other. That family and community are the the keys to us thriving. And I I would pray that as I do my life and and what we model in the context of our own home and those that we call family that that are around us is that they've experienced the power of when Jesus said, I want you to pray that the kingdom comes and the will of God comes on earth the same way it's being done in heaven, that that wasn't just a prayer. That was actually a reality that we can live in this place of such intimate connection with him and with each other that that everybody wins. You alluded to it earlier on in the show, but in my opinion, you and your life exemplify the ripple effect when one man makes that commitment to Christ 
how thousands and thousands of people for many generations to come have been affected in a positive direction by it. Uh, I have profound respect for you. I look up to you and everything that you do. I think it's absolutely incredible and commendable. All the commitment and sacrifice that you've made in your life, all in the name of God. And we support you in anything that you got going on. And if there's any way the show can help you, you know, do not hesitate to reach out one single bit. We'd love to support your mission and your drive. And we thank you very, very much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to sit down with us for the last hour or so and share the word of Christ and your testimony. Well, Jason, yeah, I, I appreciate you and you being willing to do all the work to get this out there. And uh, I just pray that everybody that listens uh, can spend some time, not just turn to the next channel. And actually ask yourself the right questions so that you can you can live this life of freedom that we've been offered. And uh, it goes both ways, Jason. If there's something I can do to help you all, let me know. Yes, sir. Will you take care out there and we'll talk down the road. All right. Adios. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, Go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.